Hey everyone, this is Josh from Solopreneur Grind for episode 99 of the Solopreneur Grind podcast. Really happy to have Mo on the show. Mo, thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Well, very excited to dive in for a few reasons. You know, you're a longtime entrepreneur, and I've also used one of your services, one of your websites, which we're going to get into. But for those who might not have heard about you, can you give us just a really quick intro? Who are you? What are you working on right now? Yeah, my name is Mo Bass. I'm the CEO of Acadium. We help small business get access to affordable marketing talent, regardless of what their budget is, low as 100 bucks a month or up from that. And on the other side, we help people launch marketing careers and build marketing careers, whether they're looking to get trained as a marketer or are ready to earn money as a marketing freelancer or a full-time hire. Awesome. And I remember when I first saw the website and just thought it's such a such a brilliant idea. We'll get into more of the kind of Acadium story, but can we go back first, Mo, to what was the beginning of your entrepreneurial career? I think for you it started, you know, very early from, you know, reading your bio, but what was it like for you growing up? And then maybe if you could also talk about kind of like the first, we'll call it like real business. What what was that experience like? Absolutely. So I, I grew up in low income, uh, impoverished area. I had a lot of freedom to do what I want. And when I was 10 years old, I would go door to door selling different products and services to help my family out. Didn't get to keep any of the money, but that was my real touch into something similar to entrepreneurship where I guess I was self-employed at that point. Right. Uh, what, what were you selling family. when you say products and services? Like, was it a mishmash or... It was uh, mostly I was selling chocolates, so that was number one. And it was door to door. It was outside of malls, and I got very good at that. Actually, it was one of the top salespeople and the youngest salesperson. Uh, and I, I would make, you know, my best day was like a hundred bucks, which is really good for a ten-year-old, considering you made like one dollar for every chocolate you sold. So I sold a hundred chocolates. Which is not easy to do, you know, Absolutely. in one short shift. Um, so that taught me a lot about sale, sales. That was like my first sales, real experience and entrepreneurship, I would say. And I did that. It was good. Obviously, you're not going to build a career doing that. Um, and I dropped out of high school actually when I was about. 17, 18, and did some traveling, did some contract work, first in British Columbia and then in, in Florida. Uh, and I was I was doing phone repair, actually. I was at 18 years old. I was the youngest phone repairman in the entire country, and I had never fixed a phone line. So don't ask me how I became a phone line repairman. It just kind of happened. It was actually my sales ability that got me that, and it paid fantastic. I was making... 33 USD a day plus a hundred dollars stipend for 12 hours, 13 days on one day off. So, you know, as a 17, eight, just turned 18 year old, that's fantastic cash uneducated. I was a high school dropout and I took that money and I came back to my hometown and I started two landscaping businesses again, going door to door. Okay, but I was a little more sophisticated this time. I had roots, I had teams, I had systems, and I was leveraging people. So I started stepping from self-employed to business owner, but I was still self-employed. I was running the company. I was the main producer. 
so it was kind of a self-employed slash business hybrid at that point. And in the off season, I would read every single day, six to eight hours a day at the bookstore. Mm. Um, I love reading and this is how I get educated. I figured, you know, why school didn't make a lot of sense to me. Why does it, why am I going to go to school and go learn and pay money actually, number one, and work on their schedule, which I hated from a professor that's not necessarily a subject matter expert like they're not the best in the world at it they're you know they're decent at it and you know at the pace that they set and the things they want me to learn it just didn't make any sense to me i mean if the goal is to learn and use that knowledge apply it there's way better ways of doing that and to me i really liked the idea of learning from the best so how do you get access to the best well books is how you get access to the best people write their life work in a book and they are the best in the world at whatever subject matter you want to learn. So that's what I did. I went to chapters, which is a bookstore every single day. I would rollerblade. My life essentially was in the season I was working in the off season. I would work out my body and I would work out my mind like religiously, very, very disciplined. Uh, and I got educated. I had read a book on every uh, shelf in that bookstore at one time. <laughs> I even learned how to speed read. I'd read a book every two days. Now I read much more slowly. So this is a different phase in my life. I don't believe in speed reading anymore. Um, I mean, sometimes I do, but most of the time, in t you know, today I'm a lot more intentional in what I learned. Back then it was just about filling up the data warehouse. Now right. it's you, you very, very precise what you want to learn and what you want to apply. And we can get into that later on or whenever. Um, but that's way more effective, I found. There's only a few things that really are important. You know, as you get older, you realize that. And it's more important to get competent in those things than it is just to keep gathering information that you, frankly, you're not going to apply or quite, you're not even going to understand it because mm -hmm. it's too much. You just don't have time to reflect and apply, which is what you need to do to become a master ultimately. So right. I had these two landscaping companies and uh, that was good. I did that for a couple of years. I sold them and I started a renovation company. And that was interesting. That was my first real significant business. It was me and that's actually how the origination of Acadium, the idea for Acadium actually started then because it was me and a few friends at first. Actually, even before that, it was just me and Starbucks. <laughs> I have a long history with Starbucks. Mm -hmm. um, they give you free Wi-Fi and you get free coffee refills. Right. Not much more you need for entrepreneurship. Yeah, that's true. It's a, it's a good part of the starter kit. Can I quickly stop you, Mo? I, I just yeah. want to ask about the first few uh, pieces that you talked about before we move on. Number one, I'm curious about what were the types of books that you were reading early on? Were they biographies? Were they more how-to? Were, were they business? Were you reading fiction? And maybe also how has that changed, if at all? And then secondly, if I can pack these two questions in is, where do you think you got the, the sales skills from, right? When you're, when you're that successful at sales that early, you know, not everybody can do that. What, what was it do you think that kind of came to you naturally or for people who are struggling with sales, maybe what's some advice that you could give them? So for sales, um... I 
it was an opportunity for me to get out of the house and do something, to be honest, at that time frame and earn a little bit of, I didn't get to keep the money, but you know, every now and then I would, I would get a little bit of it. So I was, and I, would, I was very poor and I hated being poor. I absolutely despised it, actually. I felt like we were given this fantastic opportunity moving to Canada why are we not capitalizing on this? Like, this is a fantastic country. We should be taking advantage and building and, and, and using the economic opportunities that we had. I mean, I was 10 years old. I probably didn't think exactly that way, but it went something along those lines. And I liked it. I, it was, I got to meet people. It was just a lot of fun. And, you know, I was good at it. I just, mm-hmm. you know, growing up in the hood, uh, you know, in in a poor area, in the middle child, I had older brothers and siblings. I had to negotiate up. I had younger brothers and siblings. as a middle child, so I was always having to like deal with older and younger siblings, and you know, just kind of find my way ultimately. And of course, you get bullied. You don't like to get bullied. You know, sales is a way you can kind of talk your way through things. You can get what you want. And I was very driven and ambitious. Although I lost that for a period of time, you know, from about I would say twelve to 17 I lost that and I got it back when I was 17 because I got beat up and dumped that you know makes you feel like crap and nobody likes to feel that way so I was like yo whoa what happened what what is five years ago like I gotta get myself an order here Um, so that's for sales now when it comes to books I had I've always been a reader okay just clarify that I used to read a lot of fiction and fantasy a lot uh, obsessively almost I could read all day honestly mm-hmm. like, you know I love reading um, it was a way to escape and work your imagination I'm very curious like in level 100 curiosity <laughs> so books were a way you could really satisfy your curiosity and um, I loved it so what I did though is I shifted so I had the basic skill set already of reading and I just shifted to nonfiction. And the first, what I first gravitated towards was self-help. That was my first real focus. So Tony Robbins, Dale Carnegie, Napoleon Hill, you know, the classic self-help gurus. And that gave me a lot of confidence and motivation. And then from there, I wanted to just, I had a thirst, curiosity, frankly, I wanted to understand. So I read chemistry books, I read physics books, I read psychology hmm. books, I read geology books, I read books on uh, biographies, and then eventually business was what I realized is one of the more valuable ones. And then what you realize is after reading nonstop for years on end from you know hours and hours, everyone contradicts each other, yet <laughs> they all have patterns of similarity. Um, so everyone has their own viewpoints and you'll find common threads in a lot of paradoxical things and it's up to you to, you know, there's a Dunning-Kruger effect where at first you think, you know, you read a book and you think you know, like you get, and you do new, you think you're an expert in it, but the more you understand, you realize, oh man, I actually don't know a whole lot. And then as you continue your competence and your search for mastery, you get more and more uh, proficient back to baseline of where you started but way 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 later on with a lot more training mm-hmm. um, and that really gave me my first life skills let's say and so I had this massive 
understanding of the world. And I still, you know, still read some of those books, actually. I, I still, I reread them now, but a lot more carefully, with a lot more intention behind them. Um, and these days, I like to read, so back then it was all about how much can you consume, right? Now it's more about being very deliberate on picking a good book. It is very important. A book that you will finish and a book that will inspire you and a book that is relevant to you today. So just in time information. Okay. Not a book that'll teach you something that, you know, is a general business practice that you may not need for years kind of thing. The exception is biographies because you just learn a lot from them um, and they inspire you. But I like to read, you know, I read a book, uh, The Power and the Way, which is about samurai strategies. And I intentionally do not go too far ahead because there's so much knowledge. I should just finish reading um, Oprah Winfrey's uh, What Do I Know For Sure? Um, and again, maybe not more than a chapter, but that one's not set up in chapters, but not more than three pages from that specific book. It's a short book. It's very dense in knowledge. Why? Because I want to sit. I want to think. I want to reflect. I want to, I want to embody that knowledge. I don't want to just read it, skim it, next knowledge, and then, okay, what happened yesterday? I don't know. There's some kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So now it's just a, it's a different style, really. But I think as you get older, you get more intentional. Um, right. And I think that I hope I answered your question. Yeah, no, you, you answered them both both really well. I mean, I think we could just talk for hours about books, but uh, I want to jump into to the rest of your story as well. So can we jump back now, Mo? Or yeah, back yeah. to uh, where you're at in, in your entrepreneurial journey there when you kind of started the, the next big company? Yeah, so this was a renovation company and I knew nothing about renovations. I don't know nothing about anything, okay? It doesn't matter where you start. It just matters where you want to go and the speed of which you get there. So I had a friend that was managing the gym and they were doing a renovation. And he's like, hey, Mo, do you want to go and, and I can help you get this contract? I'm like, wow, like, you know, it's a, it's a pretty big job. It was, it should have been $500,000 job to one and a half million dollar job. But to me at the time, it was a $150,000 job. <laughs> so uh, he's like, I can help you get it, this and that. You got to place a bid. So I place a bid. Obviously, I way underprice it. I don't because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and they give me the contract because, well, they are uh, con artists that are here to hustle contractors that don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I got this contract with zero experience, partly because of my underpriced bid, partly because of my sales ability. Right. Which bit me in the ass that time, in a way. <laughs> um, and here I was, you know, I think I was like 20 years old at that time. And wow, had this like gigantic commercial renovation job to renovate a gym that was old and decrepit. And yeah, it was hard. I remember, you know, it was so hard. I had no network. <laughs> I had no experience. I don't know what drywall was. So what, what, what do you do? Like you, you get the contract, it's stamped, you know, approved or, you know, whatever they do. What do you do next? You start hustling. Start calling around. 
I need somebody to help me with drywall framing. You know any framers? You know, yeah, you like, like need a bunch of framers. Okay, how much? How much? How much? Right. Oh, they're too expensive. Okay, I gotta hire someone and pay them sixteen dollars an hour. You know how to frame? I'll give you sixteen dollars an hour and come here right. and we'll work together. We'll figure it out. And obviously, the job's gonna get botched that way. <laughs> it did. <laughs> I was constructing a floor. I was literally engineering a floor in a commercial <laughs> building, just on the fly. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, how am I going to keep this? And I made a mistake because I went, uh, I, I, I didn't realize this at the time, but I went lengthwise. I went the long way when I should have cut the studs the short way. It just has more structural integrity. So the right. floor is sagging at the end of it. And I'm like, oh, crap, what am I going to do? Uh, um, so, you know, and it was hard. Obviously, I didn't get paid. They got a bunch of free renovations from me. I worked for six months literally did not get paid and it was hard i remember that it was like 2 a.m and i had just spent the, the entire day moving cinder blocks it was in a basement right so you go down like three flights of stairs to get there and you know my hands are bleeding and then i'd move on to demolish this wall and they wouldn't pay you like oh you gotta get to this milestone and we'll give you payment and then they give some other excuse. So I was like, shit, I gotta actually like make progress here. I had to I was funding it with the little money I saved from my phone repairman days where right. again I had to learn how to do that. Um, so yeah, and it was like two AM. I'm I'm caked full of dust. Probably inhaled a bunch of asbestos. It's like nearly pitch black. I have one little floodlight, but everything else is black. And I'm by myself. Okay, like, <laughs> and I wanted to cry and just quit, but I'm like, I can't quit. If I quit, I don't get paid. If I don't get paid, I'll use two. I'll lose two years of my life, right? Mm -hmm. So I persevered. Didn't finish the contract. Ended up settling with them for a lot less than what they owed me, but I, I got to move on, lick my wounds, and move on to the next one, which was also very challenging. Not as challenging, but very challenging in itself. And then I'm like, it was those commercial jobs. I'm like, you know what? Commercial is not cut out for me. It's just, you, it's just not good. So I started focusing on residential. Hmm. Residential is a lot more valuable for my skill set because it's a lot more about relationships. You know, and it's, they're smaller jobs. You can do more of them. And, you know, if you screw one up, it's easier to fix it. Mm -hmm. And you can still deal with a happy client and figure out how to get paid at the end of the day. Right. So that was a lot more focused around my skill sets. And I got very good also, you know, sales and marketing are close to each other. So I actually became a very proficient marketer. And what was interesting in the renovation industry was nobody knew how to market at all or sell. Mm -hmm. So with that skill set, I was able to grow very quickly, uh, very, very quickly and become one of the top in the city very quickly. So I went from Starbucks, had a million dollars from Starbucks by myself, not bad, 20 years old, mm -hmm. a couple hundred grand that year. And then in, in this kind of business, you can make money small and then there's a gap where you don't make money and then you get to a certain size where you can make a lot of money. So I started growing the company. And I got a little basement office and it was me and a few friends and we had no money. So I would give them commissions. I would bring on unpaid interns, actually. And that's the whole start of that journey originally. Yeah. And I would um, train them and hire them, actually. So it was how I found talent and how I got extra help with very little money. And that's kind of the origin story of Acadium. So 
a quarter of our staff started off as unpaid interns. It's a great way to hire uh, and a great way to get help. And, you know, we got very good at sales and marketing and then eventually you learn how to build things. And we went from 1 million to 5 million. Then we went across Canada to Toronto, Calgary, Vancouver and became one of the largest in Canada and did that for about seven years to reach number one position, at least as high as you're going to get in that industry without going, you know, I mean, going to the United States. And I was not very happy, let's say. It's hard, right? Like that, like to do that in renovations, like nobody's done that. Nobody's done it. We're the first ones to do it. Uh, nobody's done it since because it's really, really hard to do. And I, I figured, you know, I could have done this same kind of entrepreneurial journey. This is another important lesson in a more valuable industry, in a more valuable space with a better business model ultimately and mm. have more impact, right? I just figured that I dedicate my life to entrepreneurship. And if you're gonna be great, be great at the highest level. If you're gonna be great and you're gonna compete, compete at the highest level. And why are you doing these like, you know, amateur fights when you can go compete for the championships? Right. And also have more impact as well. I really wanted to do something with my life that was more than just money. I felt like I had a calling. There's a certain destiny that I had a vision for myself. And I just really didn't see myself getting there where on that current path that I was on. So I decided to start another startup which was really, really hard <laughs> because going back to the Dunning-Kruger effect, I'm like, okay, you know, I'm king shit. I'm like 27 at the time and self-made millionaire, right? Got this amazing brand, good team across Canada and I'm going to pivot out of it completely. And when I pivoted out of it, I had to like sell a bunch of the companies and like exit some of them and get different partners for some of them because it was heavily built around me right mm -hmm. so that was my shift from being a self-employed to a business owner okay that i had to go from self-employed to business owner and that was really hard uh, to do at the time really, really really hard to do i think that's one of the hardest things to do uh but it's magical when you do it so i there's a huge opportunity cost right because if I would have just kept doing that, I mean, I would have made a lot of money, more money at least. So I, and then I would have more equity and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. My life would have been pretty easy actually, but I didn't want to do that. I want to keep building things, right? I'm an entrepreneur, entrepreneurs build things, mm -hmm. uh, not just, you know, homes and et cetera. I wanted to build companies. I felt like that's the most impactful thing I could do. So I started a technology company because I'm like, you know, I knew a lot more about business and it's like, well, if you can, the thing about tech and, and software is that if you win once, you, you, you've won. Like you don't, like in a lot of businesses, if you win, you get points. Like you get a home run, you get like two points, three points, four points. In tech, you get a home run, you can get like 10,000 points. You know? yeah. So you only need to win one time. So you can take a lot of shots. Right. You only, you only need one home run. Okay. It's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I, I've thought a lot about the, you know, the, I guess we can call it like the potential upside of tech versus versus non tech. And I've never heard it, you know, put that way with the sports scoreboard and, and makes a lot of sense. 
So Mo, let, let's get a little bit into you know Acadium and, and how you started it. For me, it, it actually sounds like it didn't start with your unpaid interns at the at the renovation company. It actually started earlier when you were talking about how you like to read and learn. That directly relates to how what now interns at Acadium are doing, right? Which is they're not going to traditional school. They're learning practically from actual business owners with real needs at that very point in time. So that's even when I started hearing some hints, you know, and and maybe the rumblings of what ultimately became it. But so how did that get started? And, uh, you know, we hopefully we can, you know, we have enough time to kind of get through how that started and and what the, the big focus is right now. Yeah, I don't really believe that school is the right way to uh, build a career. It just doesn't make any sense. It costs a lot of money, takes a long time, has terrible outcomes. There's a way better ways. Mm-hmm. Acadia being one of those ways. And when, when I pivoted to tech, I had a startup, social media app, and we were hiring interns again because it was something I did for all my companies. And my co-founder, Richard, turns to me, he's like, Mo, we have all these applicants. Nobody has experience. Why are we building a social media app? Why aren't we helping these people launch careers? And hmm. I ignored him and then <laughs> he saw us hire them and he and then he saw us go and get more. And he, the second time he's like, Mo, what are we doing? We don't have a clear product market fit in social media. Clearly, you know how to train these interns and there's a problem here to be solved. And that led into a more meaningful conversation. And we had this crazy idea. We thought that, hey, you know, that turned into a conversation about businesses providing job training. We said, what if we could enable businesses to provide job training? We believe on-the-job training is the best way to get trained for the job market. If we can get businesses to provide job training, we can create a, a, a global-scale education system at that point. And we can make mm-hmm. it free because in exchange for training, the businesses are going to get the help from their apprentices. People work for free in school. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. They, get, they work for free. They produce value for nothing. When that value could be given to a business and, you know, real world value could be had to the business and real world experience could be had for the apprentice. So that was the whole notion, the vision of Acadium, getting business provide job training, getting those businesses help from apprentices. And that's what we did. We this time I, I kind of got a little smarter and instead of just going buck wild. I'm like, I want to just kind of test this. So we put up mm-hmm. a landing page. Had fantastic. We had no product. I'm like, I'm not building nothing. Mm-hmm. I'm not spending a dime. I just burned a million dollars of my money on a social media app for nothing and like almost two years of my time. I'm not doing that again. So, landing page before we build anything. Check the demand. Demand was through the roof. What does the MVP look like? MVP is actually was related to courses. We wanted to give people some basic knowledge and build liquidity because it's a two-sided marketplace. So you need to have students you can match with businesses. So that we built coursework that allowed us to get the students. And when we had the students, we went to businesses and said, do you need help in your business? And then we would match them. And there was a hmm. long journey on product to get to where we are today. But that's kind of the Cole's notes of how we started Acadium and why we started Acadium. And the mission of Acadium is to accelerate economic mobility. We want to give access to economic mobility to anyone in the world. And how we do that 
is by giving them job training. Because if somebody can get trained for the job market, if somebody can get trained for, as a marker with just an internet connection, they can launch a career from anywhere, they can have economic mobility. And what does that look like on a global scale? That is something that's very exciting because it balances profits with purpose, which is mm. aligns with my own ethos. Right. That's super interesting. And, and I've heard at least a lot about how building two-sided marketplaces can be extremely tough. I'd, I'd love to hear a little more about how you guys tackle that or advice you would give to someone building a marketplace. And then the other thing I wanted to ask about is I saw you on Shark Tank, the or, or is Shark Tank the Canadian version of Dragon's, Dragon's Den? Den? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And they were really opposed to the idea of, you know, free labor. And as you put it here, which makes a lot of sense, is when you compare what you're offering to school, where the students are actually paying to effectively read textbooks as compared to not having to pay to get real world experience. I mean, in my mind, it, it makes a ton of sense. But I was curious to know, like, were all investor conversations like that? Did, did you guys end up getting a lot of funding? Because that's all I saw. And I, rem I still remember that very specifically that, you know, your segment and thinking, huh, like, I wonder what happened like elsewhere. Yeah. So first of all, to be clear, we weren't planning on going to Dragon's Den. We didn't take it seriously. I remember, and this is my mistake. Okay? This is on me. I was backstage and everyone was practicing their pitch. And I, 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 that was my first pitch. I hadn't pitched to investors yet. And I'm like eating my sushi with like no props, no nothing, not even practicing. And everyone else got their costumes and teams and rehearsing. And I'm like, man, these guys, they're taking this a little too seriously. <laughs> yeah. And then I go on to the cameras and I call them sharks when they're called dragons. Right. And then I ask for a very high valuation beyond anything that they're used to on the show. Because I wasn't really trying to raise money from them. It was PR. Right. It wasn't an investor pitch. It was a television pitch. Mm -hmm. And they didn't like that. They didn't, I didn't finish my pitch, by the way. Like I never, I got like five minutes in and they were already gunning. Oh yeah. Like, it's TV. It's not yeah. a real investor presentation. They're not it made, to it made for good TV too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It did. Right. And it got mm -hmm. us to the season finale and it, it, it served its purpose of press, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so else did, did you guys end up raising, did you yeah, try to raise funds? From and real you, investors. Yeah. From Silicon Valley investors, you know the ones that actually fund great companies. Right. Um, we raised from some amazing investors. Went down to the valley, did that whole tour, which was very magical, and raised a uh, a seed round. And from there, you know, just grow the company, continue growing the company, continue moving the mission forward. We recently launched uh, the ability for our apprentices to become paid freelancers on Acadian. Oh, wow. So yeah, not only will we train you, we'll help you find paid work and it'll cost you nothing. Right. You can do it from the convenience of your own home. So it, that, is, is that almost like a graduation? So they start out with more of the training and the intern stuff and then they can graduate to the, the, the paid remote worker? 
Exactly. I mean, ultimately, it's about yeah. economic mobility. It's all done yeah. on one platform now. So we will train and we will get them pay, uh, you know, paid work. And it could be an Acadium apprentice, but it can be anybody who has marketing experience. It doesn't have to just be someone in Acadium. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, we also need to fulfill our mission to businesses of being the number one place they come to find marketing talent, whether it's in Acadium or people who come as freelancers to Acadium, which mm -hmm. we vet very heavily. We will and are right now very close to the number one place for businesses to find marketing talent. Right. And that was actually going to be my next question, which is, and, and I've used your platform and had a very good experience with it. it. Are you still very narrowly focused on kind of like digital marketing positions? Is there any plan to expand out maybe into, I don't know, sales or operation, you know, finance? I don't know. We eventually maybe, but right now the goal is to be the number one place to find marketing talent and create an end-to-end -end experience from uh, to launch a marketing career and once right. we completely completely own that market okay like 100% market share level <laughs> on the entire supply then it, I think it makes sense to go to other verticals but right, right now we're focused it, we have the best supply of marketers our brand is specialized it's niched we can provide a better experience in for, for businesses looking for marketing help than anywhere else in the world. And you know, that is the priority is providing that fantastic experience and going cross categories. You're not going to be able to do that because right. they're not all the same. It's a different kind of experience. Right. So eventually we will, but it's not in the short term. Got it. And that makes a lot of sense. Awesome. Well, uh, so I want to respect your time here. I, I have two or three more questions. So really quickly, um, for the solopreneurs or, or entrepreneurs or you know early stage entrepreneurs out there right now, can you maybe give one or two pieces of advice on, on someone? Maybe they just have an idea, you know, they're working a nine to five and they have an idea, but they just haven't pulled the trigger uh, or they've just pulled the trigger. They're early on. They're going through those struggles. What are like one or two pieces of advice you would give to them? And then I'd also love to hear one or two book recommendations for those people as well from from someone who's who's read so many yeah i mean everyone's different like if you're super super young you know and you're just starting off i would say join a rocket ship startup and where you can learn a ton get some stock options get good pay build a good network and that could be your education uh if somebody's already in a job and wants to become an entrepreneur i say the cost of failure is very low in today's world. Who cares? You know, I like to look at life in five-year chunks. So you got five years. Really, it's more like two years, to be honest. So you got to like look at your life in two to five-year chunks. Take a shot. You fail. How many more five-year chunks do you have? Right? 25 years is five-year chunks. So look at entrepreneurship as a lifelong endeavor. And then... Hmm. What you realize is, oh, it doesn't really matter if I fail. You know, I've been failing a long time, to be clear on this. I failed a lot. Failed many, many years. And the people are like, well, what are you doing? Why aren't you? Why did you leave construction for the longest time? You're failing. You're failing. You were a king here. You're nobody here. You're a failure. I'm like, you don't see the vision. All I need to do is get to the tipping point. And when I'm at the tipping point, then everything lines up at that point. So there's... Most people quit when they're 40% thinking they're at 100%. They got a lot more hmm. juice left. So take shots, move fast, and break things, right? Don't be too considerate. Just go. 
go and figure out as you go. That's the best way of learning. I think if you take too long and you consider too long, the longer it takes, the less likely it is to launch, right? So mm-hmm. launch, iterate as you go. It's the best way to do it. Um, book recommendations. I like to give personalized books uh, to individuals depending on their needs. Overall book recommendations. Um, that one's challenging. Like, you know, I've read so many books and they're kind of all over the place. I like uh, You Are the Placebo, actually. Hmm. Yeah, because I feel like mindset is such a big deal in entrepreneurship. And what people don't understand is the placebo effect and how powerful that is. And it's a real thing. It's not a make-believe thing. You know, Napoleon Hill wrote a book that was all about if you believe it, you will achieve it. But he didn't actually prove the science behind that. There's a lot of science behind that. There's a lot of clinical studies. The placebo effect is really difficult to beat in a double-blind study, right? Uh, clinical, clinical, clinical trials. That's why they have it, because mm-hmm. a lot of the time people believe things and they become true. Like they, they have examples of people having tumors disappear because they thought they took a, a drug which was really a placebo to remove Jeez. tumors. When they find out that it was a placebo, tumors back, right? Like, with a vengeance. So when you understand this, it for me at least, it helps unlock a tremendous amount of value because then you can start using vision in right. a really meaningful way. Right. That's great. I'm going to have to take a look. I'm sold. Awesome. Mo, well, I really want to thank you for coming on, sharing your story. This is super, super helpful. Can you let us know, uh, number one, who is Acadium great for? And then number two, if anyone wants to learn more, get in touch with you or, or, or you know, get in, you know, learn more about Acadium, where yeah. do you recommend they go? Acadium is for small business owners who are looking for marketing help. They can get an apprentice. Apprentice works unpaid as part of the training. There's a membership fee. It's about 100 bucks a month built quarterly. And if you don't want a mentor and you want somebody with experience, we'll connect you with experienced freelancers, whatever your budget is. It's also for people who are looking to launch and build a marketing career, whether they're just getting started in marketing or are an established marketer and looking for more clients. They come to Acadium, we got them. Um, they can find me on uh, Instagram. I'm very, post a lot on Instagram on my stories, at Real Bass, and not really much on Twitter, but at Real Bass on Twitter. Awesome. Mo, thanks again for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the episode. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. If you want to join the Solopreneur Grind community, we recently started a Slack group for other like-minded solopreneurs who are starting or thinking about starting or are already well on their way to working on their own businesses. Doesn't matter the size. Make sure to check us out at solopreneurgrind.com slash join if you want to join this group. We're constantly sharing ideas, bouncing ideas off of one another, helping each other out in all areas of business and life and all that sort of stuff. Make sure to check it out, solopreneurgrind.com slash join, solopreneurgrind.com slash join. Take care and thanks very much for listening.